This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. You know, often people have asked me, just in polite conversation, Pastor, what are you, what are you preaching on in your church? What kind of sermon series do you have going on? And if I tell them, I'm preaching through the book of Revelation, I get two responses to that. Some people, when I tell them I'm preaching through the book of Revelation, they say, oh, that's cool, wow. Other people, when I say I'm preaching through the book of Revelation, they say, oh my. And they just stare off blankly. Because Revelation is like that. The book of Revelation is a roller coaster of God's truth. For one minute, we're in heaven rejoicing and celebrating with the saints. In the next minute, we are in the midst of fiery, divine wrath as God judges the world. It's a difficult book to get through. You could almost say that the book of Revelation is somewhat bittersweet. But in reality, the entire scripture is that way. Bittersweet. As a matter of fact, as we go through day to day, life at times can be bittersweet. We have good times and difficult times. Times of celebration and times of grief. Even a day like Mother's Day reminds us that life can be bittersweet. Think of it, moms. There are times when you sit at the picture window with your child in your arms looking at the sunset, reveling in the sweetness of that moment. And there are other times when you want to take that very same child and throw her or him through that window. (laughs) And don't look at me like I said something horrible. You know I'm right. So life can be bittersweet that way. I heard you, Shirley. Life can be bittersweet that way. And as we get into Revelation chapter 10, we're going to see just how bittersweet John's ministry was. And in a sense, our ministry. And it's not something we should turn away from. It's something that, in a sense, we need to embrace because that is, in fact, reality. We live in a broken, fallen, sinful, confused world. We ourselves are flawed. Even though we're saved by God's amazing grace, let's face it, we still struggle. We have our share of problems and challenges, frustrations. And often when we pray, and we pray and pray in Jesus' name for help, for healing, Sometimes that doesn't come. Yet there are also sweet times as we gather to worship together, as we spend time in His Word, as we walk in the Spirit, as we're able to see light dawn on the face of the person we're sharing Christ with, as we see God bless His ministry and His people. Those are the sweet times. Oftentimes we overemphasize the sweet and forget the bitter. Or we allow the bitterness to infect our spirits and our souls, canceling out the sweet. 
So keep that word in mind, bittersweet, as we go through this message today. And more often than not, let's face it, we, we want to be happy, don't we? We like happiness. Happiness is not a bad thing. I like to be happy. People ask, Pastor, what makes you happy? A quiet moment and a full plate can make me happy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Whatever makes you happy, cats make my wife happy. I don't get that. Cats do not make me happy. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Different things make different people happy. The problem is, oftentimes those happy things, those happy times, they don't last. They don't. I remember years ago, this church graciously sent my family and I to Disney World as we celebrated our 15th anniversary here. We went to the happiest place on earth. That's what they called it. Unless you go there with two little children. <laughs> because there are times when it is not the happiest place on earth. But we had a great time overall, and we went back a few years later hoping to recapture that moment. And it was good, but the old saying, you can't go home again, is sometimes true. Lightning oftentimes doesn't strike twice, because happiness is fleeting. And it's because it depends upon what's happening. And even in the church when we gather on Sunday morning, we're looking for something to make us happy because we've had a difficult week. Oh, I want to go to church and see all my brothers and sisters in Christ. And oh, I want to hear an encouraging sermon and wonderful music. And oh, I want to see the smiles and get the hugs. And sadly, sometimes that doesn't happen, does it? And the reality is, happiness is something we need to enjoy when it happens, but we need to be careful of it. As a matter of fact, there is a, uh, a, a statement put out by the uh, Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And it speaks of happiness. And they say this, It is an unfortunate irony that in a world fixated on happiness, that people are so chronically unhappy. Have you noticed that? It goes on to say there are 280 million people with depression globally, and I'm sure that's not the actual number, maybe larger. And this is according to the World Health um, Organization. And in the United States alone, 40 million people are suffering from anxiety. And again, that number is probably too low. Because more often than not, to spare our friends and family worry, sometimes we don't report the times that we're depressed and anxious. We like to put on a good face. Because we don't want to bring our friends and family down. And sometimes we suffer in silence, and sometimes we struggle. And that's the reality of life, unfortunately, in this broken world. And yes, it even happens among God's people. Even though we know Christ, even though our eternity is secure, even though we're sealed with the Spirit and dwelt with the Spirit, even though God tells us in the book of Ephesians that we have available to us the riches of God's grace, there are times in life when we struggle. As I was studying for this passage, I came across a plant it's called the bittersweet berry. 
The bittersweet berry, when you see it in person in the woods, maybe around your house, it looks like a beautiful berry bush. It's actually a form of nightshade. And you have to make sure that if you see this around your house, you clear it out because if you have little children, this stuff is poisonous to humanity. Only a few species of birds are able to eat these berries. I was always told that if you ever get lost in the woods and can't figure out to eat what to eat, watch the birds and see what they eat. I learned I'm not going to do that. Now this stuff necessarily won't kill you, but it'll make you wish you were dead. It'll give you intestinal problems, digestive problems. But it's pretty, isn't it? The beautiful berries, they are, they're inviting. And, and from what I understand, somewhat sweet to the taste. You pluck one and you put it in your mouth and you're like, oh, this is good. But later on, you're going to be messed up. And the reality is this, life is much like that bittersweet berry. There are things that we see that look inviting, that look wonderful. Choices that we make, dreams that we have. When we get fixated on the temporary things of this world and we take them in and they are sweet. They are enjoyable. But for various reasons, they don't last. And sometimes what we thought was sweet and beneficial can be destructive and hurtful at the worst. But even at best, things that are sweet and enjoyable are very temporary. They come and they go. Happiness from the word happening. But unfortunately, we become a nation that seems to be on a happiest. We're chasing after happiness like a pinball in a pinball machine, bouncing from every shiny, noisy thing to another. But like the pinball, we usually end up falling out. Happiness quest can be frustrating because, again, genuine happiness is very elusive, and when you do find it, it doesn't last. So what's the alternative? The alternative, as Christ reminds us over and over and again in Scripture, the Old Testament prophets over and over in Scripture, remind us to be rather on a truth quest. A truth quest. Because here's the thing, the world sometimes acts in a way that I don't understand. And it bothers me, I don't know about you. Sometimes things happen in the world that I, I, I don't understand why they're happening. How people can be so mean and hateful to one another over oftentimes silly and stupid things. I can't understand, and I'll be honest with you, I can't understand why God doesn't heal certain people. And while some, why some people are sick and struggling. I know the Bible says in Proverbs 3, lean not unto your own understanding, but trust the Lord in all that you do. I get that, and I struggle and strive with that, and that's where I go to. But I'll be honest with you, I'm human. Just like you, I often wonder, why, God? Why not? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Why aren't you doing this? But when I'm on a truth quest, and I seek the truth as God has revealed it, while I may not like what's happening, and while I may not understand what God is doing or not doing, 
I still get it and I understand that for whatever reason, he is sovereign, which means he is in control of everything. I also understand that he is loving because he sent his son to die for me. I always go back to Genesis 18, 25 when there's a situation I can't understand. The end of that verse says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? I fall back upon that. When I, I don't understand it, I can't comprehend it, or I don't like it, I have to be reminded that God is in control. He proved that he loves us by sending Jesus to die for us. And so if God is in control and he loves us that much to die for us, then I have to remember when all is said and done, I'm going to be all right. But it's still hard. But in order to gain that stability or that sanity, as it were, I have to seek out the truth. Because here's the thing about truth and happiness. Happiness is fleeting. It's fading. It'll let you down. But truth will never let you down. You may not like the truth, but you can trust the truth. So as we get into Revelation chapter 10, John, remember, has just come off a very dramatic moment. As in chapter 9, when we saw the future twofold demonic invasion of the world and all the havoc and, and death that was wrought in that. You thought it was perhaps difficult last week to hear it. I felt like it was difficult to preach it, but you can, you can put yourself in John's place and see how he actually witnessed these events. How John was just overcome, perhaps, with the whole scenario. Again, that's why in various places in Revelation, God takes that grip, that, that pressure, and lets off a little bit. And he does so here. And as we come into chapter 10, we're going to take a bit of a break, if, as it were, a bit of a release. And we're going to see yet again another mighty angel. Look what it says in chapter 10 and verse 1. He says, I saw still another mighty angel. Revelation is just eat up with angels, isn't it? They're very visible at this time. Listen, we had this discussion in my Sunday school class today. Angels are everywhere still. And the book of Hebrews, as we're going to see, talks about them as being servants, and you don't know that you might have not encountered an angel as you've gone through life. But he says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write because John was writing. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be no delay any longer. 
But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, the seven trumpets is what we're looking at, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. So John is allowed to take a pause and God sends this mighty angel, another one of the myriad of angels that John has heard from and communicated and and witnessed. And this mighty angel has a description. If you notice this description, it's very vivid, vivid and vibrant. It says he had a rainbow on his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire clothed with a cloud. Some Bible teachers and and pastors believe that this is actually Jesus because in the Old Testament, God appeared, the Son of God appeared in angelic form often. You'll find the title Angel of the Lord there. And we know that it was the Lord because he received worship. Now, is this Christ? I don't know, nor am I going to speculate because I don't do that. If it is not Jesus, and I'm not saying it's not, it is nonetheless an angel that has been given unique authority in his character. Clothed with the clouds, speaking of God's sovereignty. The, the fire, speaking of God's, uh, God's authority. The rainbow, which unfortunately our culture has ruined, but it ha- harkens back to God's promises, that he would always keep his promises and his covenant. Standing on the earth and on the water, speaking of his sovereignty in the world. If it is not an angelic form of our Savior Jesus Christ, it is certainly an authoritative representative of him. Because John needed some encouragement, John needed some stability. And we see what he holds. He holds a little book. We'll get back to that little book in a moment. But he's got this little book in his hand that we're going to hear from. And actually, as we're going to see, you're reading from that little book this morning. What does he do? He shouts and his voice is like like many thunders. And he utters things. And John is prepared to write, but he doesn't write. Why? Because there are some things God doesn't want us to know. I'm amazed oftentimes, we often want to know everything that God does and why did God do this and how did God do this? And as a pastor and a Bible teacher, I get questions very often and I think they're great questions because we want to know the specifics, we want to know the details. But the reality is God oftentimes doesn't give us specifics and details. Why, pastor? Because frankly, we don't need them. I mean, you and I function in this world. We go about our day and we don't have all the details about the world we live in. For instance, we have some in the church who are wonderful mechanics. Buster Mullis, a genius in our church, can fix any vehicle. I drive my vehicles. I know where the gas goes. I know how to jump a battery. I can, I can change a tire. That's it. Somebody said, Pastor, can you look at my engine? I walked over and looked at it. <laughs> there it is. I don't know how a combustion engine works. George Thomas gave me a job in his air conditioning company. He hasn't used me much, but I'm his looker. Because my air conditioning stopped. I called him. He said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know, but I looked at it. He said, well, you have that job then. 
the science behind a combustion engine to drive my car. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all ate breakfast this morning? When you were eating that breakfast, how many of y'all read the entire ingredient list of that cereal? What chicken laid those eggs? What pig did that delicious strip of bacon come from? Or where did that power drink come from? I'm amazed at young people who drink the Red Bull or the power drinks. Send crates of that to the nursing home. You don't need that. You're young. I mean, come on. That place would be jumping then, wouldn't it? God chose to reveal something to John that we do not know. And listen, you and I, as we go through life, we need to be okay not knowing everything. Because you will drive yourself insane trying to get all the details. As a pastor and teacher, there are sometimes I have to say, I don't know. Well, pastor, can you find the answer? No, because there's not a definitive answer. But I have to trust God with those details. And it's that way in life. So he holds this little book, but what he says at that point, John has, to, John has to hide. John has to not write it. But see, these angels are very prominent. As a matter of fact, Dr. Warren Wiersbe, uh, the late Bible teacher, says more than 60 references to angels are made in Revelation. Angels are active in a visible, tangible way there. But listen, they're all around us, innumerable company around us every day. He goes on to say they are God's army sent to accomplish His purposes on the earth. And yes, they are still active. Believers today seldom think about these event servants. But one day in heaven, we shall learn about all that they did for us here. And I love what the book of Hebrews said that he referenced here. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all, referring to the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Again, we had this discussion in my Sunday school class this morning. We talked about demons because Jesus cast out demons. And we talked about angels. And how very often the Bible says elsewhere in Hebrews that we entertain angels unaware. That not knowing it, we have encountered them. Not knowing that we have interacted with them. But they're also behind that spiritual curtain, working and moving. Zechariah talks about that. Isaiah talks about that. Daniel speaks of that. And every once in a while, like through the book of Revelation, God pulls back that curtain. And we get a glimpse. And that's what we're getting here. Because I imagine John was just overwrought. I imagine John was just, just undone after witnessing those demonic invasions. And they are real and they are coming. And as I said, as disturbed as you and I were last Sunday about it, imagine John already witnessing it. And God is wanting to say, look, it's going to be okay. And those angels are working. And he shared with him a mystery that only John today knew and knows. But as you saw, he has that little book. What was that little book? Well, let's look at that little book. You have a mighty angel coming and telling him, look, I've got a little book and I've got some mysterious things for you to know, but understand this, God through this book, God through His, 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 His message is bringing to us the fruition of all things, as I've called it, the rest of the story. And that's what we get in the book of Revelation. Revelation is the rest of the story. Understand this, my brother and sister in Christ, you are privileged as you read the book of Revelation, to know what's going to happen eventually. 
to know what's coming, to know how the human history is going to resolve and be resolved, and also to see the victory that God is going to bring. So let's take a few minutes and look at this little book, verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So God, John, go get the book. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. You know, you're reading along and that's not kind of what you expect to hear. Take it and eat it. And when I read this, I'm reminded of all those old spy movies and television shows where they get the secret message. What do I do with it? Burn it? No, eat it. No, I'm not going to eat it. I've eaten a lot of things in my life, but if you may give me a note, you eat it. I'm not eating it. But what an unexpected turn. Take this book and eat it. Why would he tell him that? Let's read on. Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter. Mmm. Mike, why don't you come over this morning? We'll have liver mush. Hey, there you are. Take it and eat it, and it'll make your stomach bitter. But notice it says, it will be sweet as honey to your mouth. So John is told to retrieve this little book. Well, as we understand Scripture, this little book is this, this book that we have before us of the book of Revelation. The revealing of God's plan and purposes. And yes, it does have a quality of bitterness to it. And the two reactions I told you about at the top of this message are basically the two reactions that most people have to it. Some people say, hey, cool, the book of Revelation, because they only touch the surface part of it. They get titillated by all the drama and imagery and excitement. And they try to to interpret it and to change it and to fixate it and do all these things. They get all titillated by it. But as you've noticed, when you dig into the book of Revelation, when you, when you, in, and when you inhale it, when you imbibe in it, literally when you and I spiritually consume the book of Revelation, it's bitter and difficult. There are a lot of pages and a lot of verses and passages in Scripture that are, that are tough to stomach. That's why many people are fearful of the book of Revelation. Many believers don't like the book of Revelation. Years ago, I taught the book of Revelation on Wednesday night. I had one dear lady who would not come for several weeks because she did not want to hear it. It frightened her. And in a sense, I can understand that. Because again, if you just take a taste of Revelation... It's one thing, it's sweet, it's exciting, it's titillating. But if you dive into it, it's difficult. But the nature of truth is that way. Truth can be sweet. Truth can be wonderful. But truth can also be difficult. Good news is good news. It's wonderful news. Got a raise, got a promotion. We're having a baby. Good report from the doctor. But oftentimes truth can be difficult. I lost my job. We lost the baby. I'm sick. But it's truth. 
We try to chase happiness because happiness oftentimes is done to push away the bitterness. And I'm not saying we should live in bitterness. I don't like the bitterness of life either. But the more we pursue truth, the more we seek truth, the more we begin to see the world as it is. And rather than live in frustrated confusion, we begin to see the hand of God in the world. And understand, yes, as difficult as it is, it's going to be okay. That's what John needed to hear. That's what John needed to see. Prime example of this is the Old Testament book of Esther. Esther, if you want to impress your friends with Bible trivia, is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God. What? There's a book in the Bible that does not mention God? That's right, you won't find the name God or you won't find God referenced in that text. And there's a tremendous amount of difficulty and struggle in that book. But if you read it carefully, you see the hand of God orchestrating all of the events to preserve His people. When you're seeking for just happiness, some people struggle with the book of Ecclesiastes because it's a downer. And it is. But when you read the whole book and you take it in through the eyes of of truth, you get the point that life is tough, but it's worth it through God. Same thing with the book of Lamentations. When was the last time you went to Sunday worship and heard a preacher preach through Lamentations? I'm going to do it one day. Lamentations is basically a five-strophe funeral dirge. But God put it in Scripture to show that sin is destructive. But there's always hope in Christ. So John retrieves the little book and he receives the little book. Literally, he takes it and ingests it. Verse 10, Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey to my mouth. Oh my goodness. Don't you love that first bite of something good? My daughter was home last night and at the house and she made chocolate fudge brownies. Now I live in a good food-free zone most of the time. My wife is tough. But she came up to me and she said, Here, Dad, and there's this little brownie on the plate. And I took a bite of that and I heard violins and I could swear I heard <laughs> angels sing. And it called for a delightful cup of hazelnut coffee. So I made that to wash that brown. And I was like, Lord, I'm in heaven now. But then later on that night, I had indigestion. And I couldn't sleep because I had too much caffeine. Happiness is fleeting. But it was sweet. It was good. And that's the way the Word of God is. We want to hear those good messages. We want to read those encouraging passages. We have our devotions in those those pleasant places. But God put Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, and Revelation in the Bible because we need the whole picture. Because you can't escape the difficulty and bitterness of life. You you and I need to embrace it and understand that it's all part of God's mysterious plan. So John said, I ate it at the sweetest honey to my mouth, but when I had eaten it, it, my stomach became bitter. And God had to remind John that the rest of the prophecy that Revelation is going to bring is going to have sweetness and bitterness. 
And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. So John retrieves the book. He receives the book. He finds that it is sweet to the taste. That's talking about the hope we have in Christ. As difficult as it gets on earth when we know Jesus, we know that one day everything's going to be okay, and that's the truth. One day we'll drop and shed this mortal coil and we'll go to be with Christ and we'll live in bliss and and tranquility in heaven with Him forever. That's sweet to the taste. But until then, John had to realize that some of the revelation was going to be bitter to the stomach and that was the judgment of Almighty God coming. Because yes, God is love as we've said over and over, but God is also just and holy and He must judge sin. He would not be a righteous and perfect, just and holy God if he did not. And so, yes, there are horrible, difficult, dramatic passages in Revelation that we must see and hear. We must also understand that for those who don't know Christ, there is an eternity in hell separated from God. As much as we don't like to talk about it, did you know Jesus himself talked more about hell than he did about heaven? Speaking of the bittersweet So there, yeah, Revelation is sometimes as hard to stomach. It leaves us uncomfortable. And here's the thing, it should. None of us should be comfortable with the sinfulness of our world. None of us should be okay with the sinfulness in our lives. None of us should be at ease about our family members, friends, co-workers, and neighbors dying and going to hell. None of us should be comfortable with that. But that's the part of that bitter part that we struggle to stomach. And so God, yes, He gives us a message of sweetness and hope, but He also gives us a bitter message of judgment. And what He tells John, He said, this is necessary for life because you and I have a mission, just as John had a mission. John's mission was to communicate the Word of God again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Your job and my job, while we are not given a direct revelation of God, we carry a revelation from God. The Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And our mission is to go to those people, those places, and communicate the Gospel. To tell others about Christ. And yes, you may not be warmly received. You might be shouted down. You might be made fun of. And that's the difficulty. That's the tough part. The tough part of that message is, yes, Christ died and brought salvation, heaven and glory. But if you reject Him, you'll spend an eternity separated from Him. And that's hard to say. But it's the truth. You can chase happiness all day trying to run from the truth. But you will never be satisfied you will never be fulfilled, which is why such a large swath of humanity is anxious and depressed. Why such a large swath of people in the United States and Western Europe, relatively rich people. Listen, even if you're one of the poorest in America, you have more than 80% of the world's population. I'm always amazed when I read stories about the royal family in Great Britain, about the agony and the anguish and the complaints and the frustration. These people have everything and more. But instead of being content, they struggle. And I don't look at them any more than I look in the mirror at myself because I'm 
richly and fully blessed, but yet I still whine, complain, and fuss. Life is bittersweet. The sooner we get a hold of that, the sooner we quit chasing happiness. Not that we can't enjoy happiness, as I love to be happy. I love to go for a good time. But that's not what life is all about. Our life should not be a quest for happiness. It should be a quest for truth. Yes, sometimes it's sweet because it's hopeful, but there's more times than it's bitter because God's judgment prevails. But that's our role. That's our life, especially as believers. We must embrace the bittersweet. Things aren't always going to go the way we want them to go. People aren't always going to perform the way we expect them to. We're not always going to have what we want to have. Did your life turn out how you expected it and wanted it to turn out? Does that mean you can no longer be happy? Of course not. But if you're chasing just happiness, you're never going to be fulfilled. Sweet to the taste, bitter to the stomach, but necessary for life. And as we close this morning, let me remind you of the, one of the most bittersweet moments in history. And that moment was the cross of Christ on Calvary. That is the ultimate collision of the bittersweet. Sweet because our God loved us so much that He left heaven, clothed Himself in limited human flesh, and allowed himself to be humiliated, beaten, and killed, dying on the cross for your sin and mine. There is no sweeter love than that. I don't know about you, but I often sometimes have to sit and be reminded of what Christ endured for me, and what a sweetness that is. What a gracious and sweet God we have that would do that for you and I. He was buried and then He rose again from the dead. Such a sweet story. That's why it's called the gospel, the good news. But there's also bitterness associated with it. That God who took on flesh allowed that flesh to suffer and struggle. God who had never known death experienced pain, agony, humiliation, and a lingering death that you and I could never imagine. I don't really get into Hollywood depictions of Christian stories or Christ's life. But just They frustrate me. But I did go see the passion of the Christ. And even that, of course, didn't dot all the I's and jot across all the T's. But just to, to see Jesus, and, 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 and they got as close as they could to depicting an actual crucifixion. If they would have gone completely and depicted it the way it really was, it would have been rated R. Or X, you could not, because most often the victims were crucified naked. Especially in the Middle East, because as a Jew or a Muslim will tell you, it is a complete and total embarrassment to be naked in public. And the Romans, their job was not only to execute you, but also to humiliate you beyond reason. And humiliate your family in the process. And that's what Jesus endured. God, who had never experienced birth, was born. God, who had never experienced death, not only died, but died in such a way that it's just difficult to even think about. But again, he did that for you and I. So yes, life is bittersweet. 
God is encouraging John, look, you just do what I've asked you to do. You're going to go prophesy, go on that truth quest, communicate the truth, seek the truth, find the truth. Don't worry about what you don't understand. Don't worry about the details unless God reveals them. Find the truth. Live the truth. Endure the difficult times. And know this as we finish. As bitter as and, and as difficult as things are one day through Christ, the sweetness will overcome the bitter. And in Christ, we will spend a sweet eternity with God forever and ever and ever. Let's close in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, standing together. The truth in the gospel is also bittersweet. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as Savior, the Bible says if you die in that condition, you'll be separated from God and in a place called hell forever. Difficult to say, difficult to talk about, but true. That's why he came. The sweetness of that message is that God took on flesh, left heaven, and embraced a cross for you and for me. There's nothing you and I could do to earn heaven. If we try to earn it, try to get it through religion, turn, try, strive, we can never earn it. God provided it as a gift. And if you and I will come to him, and the bitter part is admit, yes, I've had to look at myself and admit I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. What I must do and what I did several years ago was cast my full confidence and faith in Jesus as my Savior. If you will do that this morning in faith, trusting in him and him alone, God will give you everlasting life. If you're here and you know that message, yes, we have bittersweet ministry ahead of us. We have to preach the judgment of God. We have to communicate the destiny of hell for the lost. But we also can tell people the sweet and good news, the gospel news that Christ died for them in spite of their sinfulness. Christ loves them in spite of their sinfulness. And Jesus loved us so much that he came to get us. Enduring humanity's existence, dying on a cross, being buried and rose again from the dead, what could be sweeter? And because Christ rose, one day we will rise. And that is the ministry before us. It is bittersweet. But take heart, as John would take heart, one day the sweetness is going to overcome the bitterness. If you go on a truth quest, you will see this over and over. So may God help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Father, life is bittersweet. Since the rebellion in the garden till now, we struggle, we strive, we fuss, we feud, we fight. As hard as we seek happiness, Lord, it fleets and it fades. We're back to struggling again. But Father, through the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, you provide hope, you provide help, and you've paid for heaven. And when we receive Christ, Lord, we can walk with you here and get hope and strength and help through your spirit and through your word. But we must seek you and seek your word. And Father, one day we'll ascend to heaven and be with you. But until then, bless us and help us. Help us today, Lord, to go help these who are gathered here to seek truth and to be grateful for happiness when it happens and to enjoy happiness when it happens. But always seek truth. And may we give you the glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen, amen and amen.
For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.